We're going to get into Mark 6 in a little while here tonight, but I'm going to start uh, jumping ahead to uh, Mark 10 because I think it's something that is really powerful that the Lord said four chapters on down the line, and that's going to really uh, have a lot to do with what we're talking about tonight. This is a very... Uh, I, I, it's a good story to tell. Uh, you can make a really good uh, HBO movie about our scripture tonight, really, because it, it's just that. You could make an HBO movie or you could just put all these people on Jerry Springer and they would fit right in with the story that we have to share tonight. But let's start as we talk about persecution tonight. We're going to start first in Mark chapter 10. In verse 29. So, Jesus uh, said this, and it's really going to point back to where we're going tonight. Uh, that He said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So that strange little thing there with all of the, all of the rewards that he's talking about for leaving your house, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your children, your lands for the sake of the gospel. One of the things he said you'll receive is all those things a hundredfold, and then he added with it persecutions. And that doesn't sound fun at all, does it? So I would say that this message tonight, this section of the Gospel of Mark, comes with like a uh, a warning, like danger, like you know, like you ever seen like those signs that that maybe somebody posts on their property, warning, beware of dog. <laughs> Something like that. This is like caution tape is up all around in this section tonight. That this message and this uh, section of Scripture runs counterculture. Now, what do I mean when I mean counterculture? In fact, I would say not just counterculture out there, but counterculture of the culture of the church today. It runs counterculture of the message that many churches are preaching. What do I mean by that? So like, I guess I would say it this way. There's a, there is a gospel message out there that tells us that God has a wonderful plan for our lives. Have you all ever heard that? Do you believe that? God has a wonderful plan for your life. Somebody like, can I shake my head? I believe that. Am I getting in trouble by saying that? I do believe that God has a wonderful plan for my life, but it might not be what I think it is. And boy, John kind of illustrates that. That sometimes that plan is not all it's cracked up to be. Like we want to say that all your problems will be solved and everything will be you know, a bed of roses, but that is just not the truth. It's a lie. If we tell people that God has a wonderful plan for their life and that all their problems will be solved just by coming to Christianity, 
When persecutions arise, remember the, the seed, right? When the seed falls on a ground where persecution arises, the sun begins to beat and scorch, and because there's no root, what happens? It just withers and dies. It falls away. So it's important for us to make sure we know when, our, when we fall on good ground, when those persecutions do come, that we have a foundation strong enough to withstand it. So the truth is, sometimes there's a terrible steep price to pay for being a disciple. So it's not always a wonderful plan as far as what we might want to assume is a wonderful plan. In 2 Timothy 3, 11 and 12, it says this. Paul's talking about uh, just remembering things that happened. He's pointing it out to Timothy and he's referring to his persecutions and sufferings that happened to him at Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra. So you see where he's like, everywhere I went, everywhere I went, there was persecutions and sufferings. He says, which persecutions I endured Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So, and you know, Paul, even talking about that being rescued from persecution, where did he end up? Does anybody know? Yeah. He ended up in jail and ultimately God was beheaded, was beheaded for his testimony for the Lord. So he says, indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All is like a pretty expressive word. All, what does all mean? Everyone. Yeah, that's the words of Pastor Matt. He would say, all means all. Like, what does all mean? Well, it means all. So that means if you desire, first of all, so that's, that's like the, uh, the important thing here. Maybe you don't desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Maybe you don't really desire. But if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. So sometimes the spiritual reward for faithfully serving God may be our lives. Yikes. I don't like that. But let's look at our text tonight. So y'all ready? Moving on in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Oh, we need we need a uh, we need a Chuck. You want to be Chuck? Yes. 
Here, you're Chuck. You tell me when to do it. <laughs> Whenever it looks like I'm finished reading and it needs to go to the next slide. Because <laughs> like me, I just go, can I just say this? Like, so Sunday morning, I like, I told Bonnie, I said, like, it, it's a, the weirdest thing for me is preaching Sunday morning was not knowing what was going on with the slides. Like, okay, are the, do they have the right slides up? or Am I in the right place? And so, like, it was distracting to me. But anyway, so please, take over. And I'll just trust you. Because I do trust you more than I, chuck, I trust Chuck. And that's saying a lot. So where, where was I? For it was Herod, I'm going to look at verse 17, I'm in verse 19, okay. But we're in verse 19. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod was on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king said an execution or sent an execution with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother when his disciples heard of it they came and took his body and laid him in a tomb wow so this is what we would call a parenthetical passage fancy right i know fancy words a parenthetical passage so what does that mean it means that like we are basically flash, it's like a flashback. So it's something that has already happened and we're going to parenthetically just stop the chronology of the story and go back in time and explain what happened to John. So this had already happened. So it's parenthetical. We're talking about something that has, has already uh, taken place before uh, this incident this whole context of Jesus sending out his disciples two by two ministering and now they're casting out demons they're anointing with oil many who were sick many are being healed so it's not just Jesus doing the ministry now he's now transferred that to his disciples and they are going out and doing all these things and Herod Herod has heard about it he's heard about it and everybody's saying this Jesus must be John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. And, or maybe he's just one of the prophets. Or maybe he's Elijah. So this was the things that they were thinking of. So it's a flashback to John's imprisonment. 
and his execution, which had already taken place. And I would say to you that we need to know preaching the gospel is not always welcomed. Jesus sent them out two by two, and he told them that there would be some that would reject them. The cost of discipleship can be very great. Very great. So there's two, there's three things we're going to look at tonight. Things to expect when we serve God faithfully. And the first thing is, there will be some that will fear you. There will be some that will fear you. So Mark chapter 6 and verse 14. We'll go at it again. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So, this is the... This is that uh, parenthetical moment here. And we see the response to the gospel can be many things. Sometimes you preach the gospel and people are going to be filled with excitement and praise. They're going to receive it gladly. But other times people will deny it. And then at other times people will downright oppose it. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. So they were doing good works. They were going out two by two. God, uh, so Jesus had come to the moment where, okay, now I'm discipling these guys. I'm going to send them out. And two by two, they're going to go out and I want you to start preaching the gospel. And so they're doing this and some are receiving it and some are not. But he's saying, let your light shine before men. Let them see your good works and bring glory to God. So that's our calling. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're to go out and we're to preach the gospel. We're to let our light shine. We're to do good works. But those good, and they were doing good works, but some people just won't receive it. Some people won't receive it. And we have to be prepared for that. In fact, if you look at, uh, in, I'm just going to look back a little bit in Mark 6, 11. Uh, Jesus told them, if any place will not receive you, some won't receive you. Some people don't want to hear what you got to say. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. I'm gone. It's on you now, buddy. So that's what he's saying. Some are just not going to receive you. Other places where it says, don't cast your pearls before swine. So some are going to fear us. Some are going to fear the message that we preach. What we say and what we do is not going to make sense to them. And they're going to be unable to deny that it's God that's working and speaking through us. God working in our lives. Others will see your good works and they'll glorify God. So we have to be prepared for that. But some will just plain fear us. So 
Here's the thing about Herod, right? King Herod. First of all, that technically he's not a king. Okay? Technically he's no king. He wanted to be king. And if I were before him, he would demand that I call him a king. But historically, he wasn't a king. And this is why his name was Herod Antipas. So there's a lot of Herods. Like sometimes we get confused because there's Herods, Herods, Herod. There's Herod the Great. There's Herod Antipas. There's Herod uh, uh, the name Agrippa. So you see a lot of different Herods. But this is Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great. Who is Herod? The, what is Herod the Great really like famous for? Anybody know? He rebuilt, he rebuilt the, uh, that, that's one, he was the, he was the Herod that was a king. And he, he was the one who was alive when Jesus was born. This is his son. Okay. This is his son. This is not the same Herod. And Herod is really famous for restore, rebuilding the temple. In fact, the temple was named that a lot of people called it Herod's temple. And it was Herod's temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. So, you know, just a few years, 70 years down the road here, that temple would be destroyed. And it was really called Herod's temple because as king, he restored it to its glory. And its glory was really nothing compared to its former glory. Right. So that was Herod the Great. But Herod Antipas, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was taken and it was divided up into four, you could call it states, because that's what we're used to, states. So, And those states were ruled by governors, or he was literally what we would call a tetrarch. So he was a tetrarch, he was not, or a governor, he was not a king. In fact, he wanted to be king, and he was kind of prodded to be king by his wife, his second wife, Herodias, where he would go to Caesar Augustus and ask him to make him and give him the title of king. And Caesar Augustus would say, no, no, you're a tetrarch. You're not a king. So he was turned down. And Herodias kept on egging him on. This is just some historical background, right? Uh, I'm parenthetically looking forward now. A little historical background. Herodias would keep on egging him on to go back to Caesar Augustus and ask him again, will you appoint me as king? And Caesar Augustus, I guess, got impatient and aggravated with him and exiled him and dismissed him from his role as Tetrarch. So he was so hungry for power that he would lose it all in the end. Right. In Jewish tradition, if your brother dies, you're supposed to marry his wife. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, get on with that, but his wife didn't die. So oh. yeah. So we'll get we'll get back to that in historically, but that's a great point. And I do have a scripture from Leviticus too that we're gonna take take a look at tonight too. So 
Just another little historical piece right here. Herod Antipas, which is the Herod we're talking about here, he had a nephew. And that nephew is Herod Agrippa. And Agrippa did receive the title of king from the Caesar after Augustus, who was Caligula. So just, and that happened in AD 37. But here we are, this, uh, really Herod is nothing but a wicked, can I say henpecked? Is that a word? <laughs> Politician. He didn't know what to do with John. He feared him. He was greatly perplexed by John. In verse 20, we'll see that, that Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. He kept him safe, and when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. So he had a problem. So sometimes, just like John, his ministry caused fear in Herod, sometimes our ministry will cause fear in others. And how do we respond to that situation? So the first point that we see there tonight is that your good works will bring honor to God and yourself before your persecutors. So look at verse 14 and verse 15 again. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become, become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So Jesus' name had become popular. I mean, he was doing things that he was on everybody's radar. Everybody knew who Jesus was. He was the buzzword. He was what people were talking about. His works were undeniable. He was healing the sick. He was touching. He was casting out demons. The blind could see again. People that had never walked before were walking. I mean, it was just amazing the things he was doing. His works were undeniable, and Herod couldn't deny them. But yet, they didn't produce faith. Sometimes, you know, like you can do all of these things, and, and it won't, it will not penetrate a hard heart. And that just, that's really sad. But Herod was fascinated, but yet he was never moved to faith. He's John the Baptist, some said. He's Elijah, some said. And some that, you know, didn't believe in all that supernatural said, no, he's just like one of the old prophets. He's just another, uh, like the old prophets. And the powers that be in that day did not like what Jesus was doing. What was the source of such miraculous power? Because, you know, if you, if you really can't deny the power, you have to, Ask yourself, what is the source? What did the Pharisees say the source was? They said it was Beelzebub. He does this by the power of Beelzebub. And so Jesus stood up to that claim and he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan cast out Satan. So Jesus pretty much dropped a bomb on their rationale. So we know that the powers that be they couldn't understand it. First Peter 4 says this. First Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Most people, and that's probably us, the greatest thing we will ever suffer is an insult. Is an insult. But for many, and that means today too, for many, the sufferings of Christ are real. They're real. They're undergoing intense persecution all over this planet today. And we're warned of that. And Peter says, don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. So the second thing is, not only will our good works bring honor to God and to ourselves before our persecutors, but our good works will also haunt, haunt our persecutors. So some said, or most said, he's a prophet. But not Herod. Herod didn't believe that at all. Herod was convinced that Jesus was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. He believed that it was a ghost. He believed that Jesus was a ghost. He was the ghost of John the Baptist returned probably to to torment him. So he said, that's John the Baptist. He's raised from the dead. He was haunted by him. Why? Because he unjustly beheaded him. So it was weighing on his conscience. It was haunting him. I mean, think about it. This John the Baptist was a miracle child. He was born to elderly parents, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth. It was supernatural for her to get pregnant, just even more so than for Mary as a birth. Both were supernatural, but it was a miracle that she would conceive at that age and carry the term. And then those, those children... Uh, Jesus and John were cousins. They were cousins. And so here is this miracle baby uh, called by Jesus in Matthew 11 and 11. He said, of those born of women, there has never been one greater. Wow, what? <laughs> what a compliment. So this greatest man ever. And Herod is haunted by it. This man was courageous. He was moral. He was upright. He was righteous. He loved God. He was bold. He was the man that came forward uh, to proclaim repentance, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. He called for radical change in his society. Eccentric, wearing camel skin, eating locust and wild honey. He was something, something else, right? And here's Herod, a coward, haunted by what he had done. See, we don't, we really don't need to defend ourselves. We, human nature, we want to defend ourselves. But our good works honor us before men. But they also haunt our persecutors. So the next point we're going to look at is this. Not only will 
there be some that will actually fear you, but there will be some that will try to stop you. So we look as we proceed in this story in verse 17. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So it's going to get kind of seedy here. It's a story of sex. It's a story of power. It's a story of pride. It's a story of lust. It's a story of revenge. And we see Herod weak, paranoid, while Herodias is cunning and ruthless. It's a zoo. It's Jerry Springer. So we see divorce, we see adultery, we see incest, we see drunkenness, we see strippers, we see murder. Like I said, this could be an HBO movie. And Herod is consumed by a guilty conscience that haunts him, but his wife is consumed with revenge. I, I was thinking about that, like how at this point, when Jesus begins to send out the disciples two by two, and he's really thinking that Jesus is the reincarnation of this man that he's had killed. There's no repentance. There's no, like, he's just haunted by what he's done, the shame, the guilt. And I thought of Paul and what Paul had done. As Paul stood there, the Bible says that Paul held the coats of those that took stones and threw the stones at Stephen and hit him. I wonder what it's like to die having stones hit you all over your body until you are dead. And Paul stood there holding the coats of those people who threw the stones until Stephen was a dead man. The first of the martyrs. And I think to myself, how Paul get over that? Did that haunt Paul? Did it paralyze him to where he was ineffective? And I see that Herod could have, Herod could have gone in the same direction with every opportunity. But Herodias had other thoughts. So the first thing we see here is that a sense of guilt will cause some to oppose you. We see in verse 17 there that uh, it was Herod who had sent and seized John. And he bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. He doesn't even call it his wife right here because he had married her. So 
First of all, historically, let's talk about Herodias. This, this just gets weird. It's confusing, okay? It's confusing. I can't follow all of this stuff even myself. But do you know that Herodias, number one, before she was his sister-in-law, because she was married, she would have been his sister-in-law because she was married to Philip, right? His half-brother, Philip was his half-brother. She was married to his half-brother, but she was also his niece. She was also his niece. And I don't know if he seduced her or she seduced him. But some seduction took place and she left Philip. Herodias left Philip, divorced him, and she married Herod. And to make that happen, Herod divorced his first wife. So we see this just turmoil. And who was his first wife? You know what kings did back then or what governors did? They married other king's daughters to make political alliances. So Herod was married to the daughter of a neighboring king. He divorced her in order to marry his daughter-in-law and niece. So, wow. The political tension that this caused in those days was very important. It was turmoil, and it would eventually lead to war. It would eventually lead to war, this adulterous union. So in Leviticus 20 and 21, there was never any deaths. It was all divorce. So 2021 says, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And so John was an Old Testament prophet. He's not a New Testament prophet. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he is preaching hard and true. And he's calling Herod, who calls himself the king of the Jews. He's calling him out on his sinfulness. He's opposing him and he's keeping on saying it. He didn't just say it once. It's, it's, it says that he kept saying, he kept telling him that. He kept bringing it, bringing it up. So John's speaking with boldness for John. Look at verse 18. For John had been saying, he had been saying. In other words, he'd been, he's, he had been saying it and he's still saying it. He didn't mince his words. So, Herodias, she's mad about it all. She's, she's been challenged. And she convinces her husband to have John arrested and imprisoned. And we see there in verse 20. Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. So he's got him bound in prison, but he's keeping him safe because he knows there's something about this guy. There's something different about this guy. And he heard him. He was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So I could see like Herod sneaking down into the dungeon, into the prison to hear 
what John would have to say to him. He gladly heard him. He liked listening. So there was this, this uh, turmoil that was going on within Herod himself. He was perplexed. He heard him gladly. And there was John boldly confronting with no fear the sinfulness in Herod. But Herodias knew what she wanted. So we see next that intense hatred will drive others to oppose you. Intense hatred will drive others to oppose you. So we see in Mark 6, in verse 19, and Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. (laughs) Man, like... I've had grudges against people in my life. I probably still have grudges against people in my life. I'm being honest with you. There are some people I have grudges against. But I don't want to put them to death. But, yikes. Jesus said, if I hate my brother without a cause, I've committed murder in my heart. Word of God is so convicting. Right? Why'd you have to do that, Lord? I'm just trying to teach. Don't be coming here convicting me in the middle of a lesson. She wanted to put him to death, but she couldn't. John 15, verse 19. If you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Herodias hated John hated Jesus, hated anybody associated with him, and so was the does the world because Jesus has called us out of the world. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they crucified him, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will also keep yours. One side or the other. One side or the other. So lastly tonight we're going to see that there will be some that will seek to destroy you. There will be some that will seek to destroy you. We look at the last verses of this story. An opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went in and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. (sighs) 
Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Wow. I hear that giggling over there. Herodias had been condemned by the man of God. She'd been called out and she wanted revenge. And it's amazing the lengths that she goes to to get that revenge. So we see first that the ungodly will stop at nothing to destroy you. The ungodly will stop at nothing to destroy you. In verse 21, verse 23, but an opportunity came. She was just waiting for it. You know, I always say when you least expect it, expect it. An opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to the half of my kingdom. So it's a birthday bash. In fact, he threw his own party. Like, I don't know if he even couldn't even get anybody to throw him a party. He had to throw his own party. You know what I read that uh, is kind of interesting? Was, uh, the Jews uh, thought that to celebrate a birthday was a pagan thing. They didn't do it in Jesus' day. They didn't do birthdays. Now, I'll celebrate my birthday, so this year, my, no, I won't celebrate my birthday this year. I won't celebrate it this year. My birthday actually falls on Easter Sunday this year. So we'll celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, and it's full of important people. I mean, he's invited the movers and shakers, the military men, the religious leaders, the, the, uh, the politicians. It's all the important people there. And they're having a good old time. They're drinking. They're rowdy, right? Verse 22, when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, well, we'll just stop right there. Yeah, let's not stop right there. Ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. That likens back to Esther 5. Verse 2, watch this. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. Copycat. Yeah. He can't admit that. Yes. Right. He couldn't he didn't have a kingdom to give. He was a tetrarch. Okay? So he's trying to save face. But I mean what is going on here? It was a seductive dance. Hmm? It was a seductive dance. A seductive dance. Absolutely. Yeah, I bet he wanted to take it back, and we see that, right? So here's this. Here's the the daughter, right? Uh, Herodias's daughter, uh, that that's going to dance 
between dance for uh, kind of, kind of sick, right? For so there's no doubt that uh, so so in fact in fact you know honestly. It, it was it was a very sensual dance. It was a very seductive dance. Josephus, how many, how many of y'all have heard of Josephus? Josephus is a Jewish historian who re, who uh, wrote about a lot of these events, and he lived during this time. Uh, he was a Jew, and just I mean, it's it's amazing some of the things he wrote about. He writes about the fall of Jerusalem in seventy A.D. He records a lot of. Uh, of the happenings during that time. And he tells this tale, and he says just that, that it was a very seductive, sensual, erotic dance, and it was probably a strip dance. And here's the thing, like, she's likely in her teens. She's likely in her teens. So her mom is using her daughter and destroying her dignity and reputation to get what she wants. It just, it blows you away, right? The head of John was more important than her daughter's purity. And it pleased Herod. So that says a lot about him, right? And I, I imagine it pleased every man that was in that room. And I imagine it was raucous and loud. And you know how men are. And the last truth is this. Your enemy will seek to destroy you and your head may end up, I pray not, but your head may end up on a platter. So we see in 24 and 29, she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately. There's that word. Right, the immediacy of the gospel. We see that word so many times in the gospel of Mark. And immediately with haste to the king, asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Not tomorrow. I want it now. She could have asked anything, right? And she asked for the head of John. The... So you can, I see premeditation in all of this. I see premeditation in all of this. And the king was exceeding sorry. He realized he had made a mistake. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. So the executioner went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. A devious wife, a manipulated daughter, and a coward for a king. How sad. Good question. He was the tetrarch, so that was his uh that was his rule. And if and if you remember when Jesus goes on trial, the first person so Jesus goes on trial, he's brought before the Sanhedrin first. 
the Sanhedrin cannot put him to death. So the Sanhedrin sends him to Pilate. (coughs) Pilate says, whoa, what's going on here? And then they hear that he's from Galilee. And Pilate says, whoa, hold on a second. Galilee? Send him to Herod. That's his jurisdiction. So Jesus is taken from Pilate. He goes to Herod. Herod refuses to put him to death. We'll see that. We're actually going to look at some scriptures because I think they're amazing right here as we come to an end. So Herod doesn't put him to death. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate, once again, doesn't want to put him to death. But finally, he washes his hands and he says, what do y'all want? And he lets the crowd decide and he gives them, he gives in to the will of the people. So Pilate has the blood of Jesus on his hands. But that blood is on all of our hands. But that that's the uh even even Herod wouldn't put Jesus to death at that time. He wouldn't do it. But he's being controlled by his wife Herodias. And and he would actually because of a, because of all of this behavior eventually Augustus would have enough of him and just exile him. He's lucky Herod, uh, that Augustus didn't kill him, but he just exiled him. And uh, to add on to that, trying, well, try to understand your uh, question, because I think the Pharisees, because they couldn't kill him, was because they were the teachers of religious law. They actually, they knew all, uh, they knew the signs that Jesus was throwing up, that Jesus was uh, revealing, and all the miracles he was conducting. So to kill him would have been to basically put a denial to uh, their own. Yes their own beliefs, but the Romans could do it because the Romans didn't yeah. they didn't believe in anything. Yeah. They just the, so they could do it, nobody yeah. would stop. Yeah, in the end their charge which was false and not proven was blasphemy. And that's that's what they would use as a pretense for putting him to death. Some of this falls in line with scripture in the fact that in the old testament that they would have to scapegoat. Hmm. Him bringing him back to to uh to Pilate gave him the ability to give him Barabbas mm-hmm. you know, instead of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a sacrifice of Gogo and then the Barabbas was a scapegoat. Yes. So, just, it breaks your heart to see that immediate, she came in immediately with haste. I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist. And then immediately it's done and just to see this teenage girl, I don't know what she was wearing, but it was probably very provocative, provocative. And I'm just trying to imagine this scene of this young girl receiving a platter with a head on it. And the revelry of taking that and giving it to her mother. This shows you the depths of the depravity of man. The last and the greatest of prophets. Bad things happen to good people. And life is unfair. And all who live godly are desired to live godly. In Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, we need to stop, but I want to close it with three scriptures, real rapid fire. Because I want you all to see how Jesus reacted to this. Okay? 
So we'll look at the first one here in Matthew 14. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and they told Jesus. So you remember we closed out that last verse, talked about how it's just kind of like anticlimactic, right? His disciples came and took his body and they buried it. And we see the same thing in Matthew right here. And then watch this. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. It touched Jesus' heart. He had to get alone. Even, even, Even our Lord had to get alone to process such a tragedy. In Luke 13 and verse 32, watch this. So here the Pharisees are, are uh, telling Jesus, you know, like, you better watch out, Herod. Herod's going to get you. And Jesus says, he said to them, go and tell that fox. <laughs> Isn't that something? So name calling. Our Lord is calling Herod a name. He, ha- he feels some kind of way about him. The humanity of our Lord is, is strong. In this scripture, he says, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. In other words, I'm going to do what I'm here to do. You tell that fox, I'm doing what I've been called to do and what God has sent me to do. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus is pretty much feeling some kind of way about Herod right here. And he tells the Pharisees, you go and tell that fox. I bet none of the Pharisees had enough guts to go do that. And one more time, Jesus would face that same Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He thought he was John the Baptist, remember? And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length. But Jesus didn't speak a word to that man. He let him go to his grave without speaking a word to him. Let that rest on you. God, we thank you for your word tonight. It's not a comfortable word at all. It's a troubling word, Lord. But I thank you that you have redeemed us and we are just pilgrims in this land. And as Paul said, I pray that we could say this by faith, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Help us to live the kind of life that brings honor to you and remembers the sacrifices of great men like John. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.